wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Backchat, exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to Backchat. My name is Paul Bergamo, and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Backchat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today, we're going to explore the health pillar of being your best with your eating. As always, it's a great pleasure I introduce my fellow Kyperton co-host... Dr. Anthony Coxon. Hey, Anthony, how are you going? G'day, Paul. Good to be here as always. And, mate, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. 21 today, is that right? Me, personally? As in... I look 21? Well, not quite. No, sorry no, no, right, sorry okay. to break the news. There's yeah, 21 okay. podcasts in we are now. 21. We're celebrating our 21st birthday. I mean, 21. That is literally amazing, isn't it? So did you bring the cake? Where the, where's the cake? Where's the candles? Aren't we celebrating? Well, we are celebrating We are because we're talking nutrition today. We are. Speaking of cake. That's why we're, uh, we're celebrating today with an expert in nutrition. And we're very fortunate to have Dr. Damien Christoph with us today in our podcast. Damien is a nutritionist, naturopath and chiropractor with over 20 years experience. He has extensive media experience with TV. New Zealand's downsized me that premiered on Channel 7 2 in 2014. Did you see that at all? I see, see snippets of it. A, a younger Damien Christoph, I think it was, to back then. <laughs> he's, he's done very well with that. And, you know, he's also on radio as well. So have you heard him on Triple M? Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, so he's on, on the top rating drive time show with the, on the Rush Hour with James Brayshaw and Billy Brownless. So we are very lucky to have Nutrition Royalty on the other end of this podcast. Hey, Damien, how are you going? Paul and Anthony, how are you, boys? We are very well, very well. Happy birthday, fellas. What an achievement, hey? 21. 21, I mean. We're getting a bit excited here, but Damo, let's let it get out. Let's get out there now. How many podcasts have you done? Well, personally, I've been part of um, over 400, it would be. 400. Uh, I'd say we've got a way to go, (laughs) wouldn't you say, Paul? (laughs) Did Damien say 400? He did. That would be Yoda if yeah. you guys be Luke. That's, That's right. <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> I, I can. Oh, yes. I, I buzz Luke. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. Well, maybe you know we'll, we'll still blow out twenty-one candles. But Jesus, isn't Damien looking good for four hundred years well, of age? He is. He is. And I'm so glad to have Damien on because um, as we're all practitioners, and one of the yeah. challenges uh, that I find when we're talking to patients is uh, getting accurate information. Yes. Everyone loves yeah, Doctor Google, and there's yeah. I think there's no area. Um, more profoundly uh, different in terms of the sources of information you can get and the conflicts of information you get than in the area of nutrition. It just seems you've got one group saying, eat this, don't eat that. Another group saying something is completely different. It's true, isn't it? Uh, so mm. this is what tonight's all about. It's about trying to explore the myths of nutrition and uh, sorting out the, uh, as to borrow one of Damo's lines, the uh, fats from the fiction. Oh, yes. It's the famous <laughs> Damien Christoph line. It's one of his famous ones. And let, let's... A can of edge or that one. So, so maybe we could start with, with that. We're, we're talking about myths. Um, really, fats have got to be the the biggest one. So, so give us the lowdown. Fats, good, bad, or otherwise? 
Oh, look, fat, there's no doubt about it. Fat's one of those, um, it's a great way to deliver fat-soluble nutrients to the body, of course. You know, vitamin A, D, E, and K, they're great. And plus, there's different types of fats. You know, you've got monounsaturated fat, polyunsaturated fat, saturated fat. Um, then you've got your omega-3 fatty acids, which are polyunsaturated fats, and they all behave very, very differently. So, you know, to say, is fat good or bad, and just give it a, you know, a once-over, fat's good or fat's bad, it's it's it sells it really short because there's so many features and benefits of all the different fats, even saturated fat, there's features and benefits of that. But there's also drawbacks, you know, because what can heal can harm. So you've got to be careful. Like you you wouldn't only just have heaps of omega-3 fatty acids at the expense of omega-6 fatty acids because your body requires both because that's why they're called essential fatty acids, right? Your body has to have them. And then you wouldn't just take out all of the saturated fat from your diet because your brain requires it and it's beneficial from a hormone perspective. So if you don't eat it, you make it. And you're more likely to make it from the other fats that you consume or the carbohydrates you consume and that's probably more dangerous. So there's benefit to all fat. It's just, you know, what's the best fat for you? And that's always the argument. So there's been the trendy fat, which is coconut fat, you know, that's been really trendy recently. But the one that stays tried and true and tested over time and through the ages and through all the generations and, you know, millennia of cultures is the good old Greek oil, olive oil, which yeah. uh, which we all love, the Mediterranean oil. But I think the Italians also have used it um, extensively and it's a it's a fabulous oil. Um, but it got a bit, you know, poo-pooed when coconut oil became trendy because it was paleo. So how did this fat thing all start? I mean, obviously there was the, the links to cardiovascular disease and a push to try and change um, uh, the, the amounts of stroke and heart attacks that people were, happening, uh, were, were having. So where, where did this all start from? What was the push to, uh, to, to knock the fats out? Well, great question, Anthony. I think that, you know, where all these discussions started, you know, back with nutrition back in the early days, say the 80s, and maybe even in the late 70s, there was this understanding that, you know, cholesterol was a subset of fatty plaque and, and fatty uh, formation from the liver or, you know, fatty... Um, I'm looking for the right word, but essentially assembly, the assembly of fats um, yep. in the bloodstream... Um, then would result in cholesterol within the bloodstream and that cholesterol formed plaques and, of course, plaques were bad and they could dislodge and cause a stroke and people who died with heart attacks were found to have, you know, often have plaques and so they blamed heart attack on plaquing and strokes on plaquing and that the plaques were caused by high cholesterol which would have been caused by high saturated fat and so it was all these long bows and big, you know, big drawn-out, um, I suppose, scientific process to kind of say, well, if that, if A and B occur then and C obviously occurs, then A, B, C, D um, must be equal. And, uh, and so essentially they just said, well, fat and cholesterol related, so all fats are bad. That meant that every fat was bad, not just animal-based saturated fat, not just plant-based saturated fat, not, poly, not only polyunsaturated fats, but all of them were bad. But they kind of tried to scale it and say that saturated fat was the worst one because that was the one that could cause plaquing and increasing cholesterol. But there was a lot of faulty research and flawed um, rigged research when it came to the understanding of cholesterol. And uh, that was that was that board that, that gave birth to the uh, the cholesterol the great cholesterol deception yeah. as um, as you know authors have um, alluded to in the past. It's interesting, and I suppose Damo, in the, in the context of the pyramid, the, you know the so called healthy eating pyramid, you know the apex of that pyramid is is, <laughs> is that? yes, well, it's interesting, isn't it? And the apex is that small zone of fats, isn't it? Is that is that how yeah. you know historically? Well, that's right. I mean, when the first um, dietary guidelines came out back in the 80s, um, they, they kind of illustrated 
what industry wanted us to eat. You know, it was really, you know, in collaboration with the Heart Foundation and industry, um, the Dietitians Association of Australia were able to pull together, and, and now it's Nutrition Australia, um, the Dietitians of Australia were able to pull together a, a model for eating, which at the time included lots of carbohydrates because they felt that carbohydrates would give us lots of fuel. It was very easy to convert carbs into sugar. Sugar was easy to convert into energy. And then, of course, that meant that we would be able to, you know, have heaps of energy to run through the day. And so, of course, Iron Man food was born and, mm. you know, all these different high sugar, um, you know, breakfast cereals were, were brought into the market and was recommended that we have somewhere between 9 and 11 serves of grain-based starchy carbohydrates every single day. So that included pasta, bread, cereal, potatoes, um, all that sort of stuff. So anything that was white and processed would be good for you according to the food pyramid. And then, you know, further on, in order to keep fat intake down, there was a reduction in anything that really contained fat. So dairy um, was somewhat limited, um, meats were limited, and of course, olive oil was limited. Olive oil was you know, put up the top of the pyramid to avoid because um, it was as good for you as soft cheese and lollies. And uh, so, crazy. you know, there was ignorance given to, um, to all of the, the, the unbelievable benefit of the Mediterranean diet, I suppose because a scientist said, well, this is the case, and so that's what they believed, and so that dogma existed for over 30 years. And, uh, and, and just recently, the food pyramid has been collapsed, which is great. It's been pulled down, and um, they've replaced it with a circle, uh, which is, which is, I suppose, a better shape. Kidokies, <laughs> but also remembering, but and Dama, you know, you know, with the the person that put in regards to longevity, isn't it? And on your other podcast, uh, 100 Not Out, you guys often are interviewing people who are older or inspirational stories, and. And, you know, you guys know the fact that uh, the the Greeks and the Italians and, yeah, okay, Anthony, I'm being biased with the Italians, <laughs> have centurions of, of a high percentage. And certainly, the you know, that mon- the, the monosaturated oil, the olive oil, is, is certainly a common um, ingredient in the diet. Oh, absolutely. But you know what's fascinating about that, boys? And, and I've, I've absolutely loved doing the podcast 100 of that because it's actually taken me on a journey I was fearful of turning 40. That's that's really what the reason why we actually got 100 Not Out started was, you know, I was 39. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be 40 soon. All of a sudden, the 30s are over, 20s are far behind me. I'm approaching that ripe old age of 40-something, and uh, and I was really worried about it. So Marcus said, well, why don't we just explore it? And uh, as we started to explore it, we realized that food, albeit tasty and delicious and a great source of entertainment and coming together – um, it didn't really have much to do with longevity, okay. provided you didn't get diseases. So if you didn't get diabetes or if you didn't get heart disease or if you didn't develop cancer, um, you could live to a ripe old age of whatever, eating um, sausages and potatoes and having coffee at midnight and having you know a couple of white bread sandwiches with Vegemite and cheese on it for lunch. You, know, you could live to you know, 106 and get off your tractor um, three-quarters blind and still be having... Um, chocolate cake with big slabs of butter, um, you know, b- because that's what you wanted to eat and you would still continue to live. Like we found out that diet didn't necessarily give you longevity. What diet gives you is quality of life. And so the the ability to mm. reduce the risk factors of early um, chronic disease such as diabetes, heart disease and cancer can be moderated by your diet and, of course, arthritis, autoimmune diseases and all those other things can be affected by a diet and digestive, you know, good health as well. So it, though, whilst that may be associated with a reduction in disease progression, your longevity genes are, are more triggered by happiness and mm, movement mm. and engagement and mm. 
um, and purpose. And so I've, I've been so fascinated by that. So what I realized was that I could enjoy my food a lot more without being as strict as what I was. And, and I used to be so strict and so over-analytic about food. And I'd, I'd be always focusing on what was going in my mouth and what I was cooking. And, and so 100 Night Out has been a revolution for me. But what it's also made me do is look at food in a totally different way. It's actually made me look at food as part of a, um, a celebration, a procession, um, it's just it's it's beautiful. Like I, I love using food to engage my audience, um, and then my audience is those that come and share and break bread with me at my table. I love it. It must be, uh, uh, Damo. If we get back to the fat thing and, and what you've just sort of said just there, there's got to be a problem when people focus too much on the micronutrient rather than the macronutrient. You know that this is 99% fat free, uh, <laughs> rather than just you know this is wholesome, good food, and let's just sit around and take the time to enjoy it and enjoy each other's company. I mean that's 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 just living a natural life, really, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, most people who are on their deathbed don't go, oh, I wish I ate more kale. Yeah. I'm sure that I should. I would have lived a bit longer had I not eaten those peanuts and I stayed away from cashews and only had almonds. Yeah. You know? like they're, not, they're not thinking that at all. And in fact, um, people, people who are living a long time care, couldn't care less about their food. Um, and, and those that are the happiest are the ones that are enjoying their food the most. And it's, um, it's great. So we are going to talk. Um, getting a little back to just uh, some of the other food myths now. The next one in mm. our in our list, list is uh, is gluten. So that oh. gets a oh, gets obviously. On. A, oh, uh, hang so, on, here uh, we go. Okay. A, little, a, a little pet subject of uh, a pet topic be. of Damo, as I'd say. So um, give us the facts on gluten, Damo. Look, gluten is a protein that's found in four grains, um, it, and in Australia we say that it's found in five grains. Now, it's really only found in five grains in Australia because one of the grains could be contaminated with gluten, and we can't be 100% certain that oats is free from gluten. So for celiacs, we say avoid oats as well. But this particular protein um, found in wheat and barley and rye and spelt um, has a very, very profound effect on the human gastrointestinal tract. And now, it's very, very important because there'll be naysayers listening to this and there'll be people going, oh, here we go, gluten this, gluten that. There's no research. And, and I had a big rant about research today because I, I really want to bring it back to patient-centered care as opposed to evidence-based medicine only. And so I, I had a big rant about this because there's so much evidence and the evidence that talks about gluten being quite detrimental to human health uh, is coming out of Harvard University in the United States, and so it's it's not a you know a, a two bob university. Mm. Like it's you heard of Harvard? Har- we've heard of Harvard. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, once or twice. <laughs> Pretty yeah, significant. Yeah. yeah, not a small player. They're, they're all right. Mm. They're probably you know, they're kind of almost as good as Deakin. Yeah. And so you know, they're, they're actually doing some amazing, amazing stuff over in Harvard. And um, anyway, Dr. Alessio Fasano leads a team, and uh, and they've discovered that. Um, gluten triggers the release of this chemical called zonulin. And zonulin, which is a, a chemical that is unique to humans based on genetic, on the genetic sequencing of humans, um, causes the um, weakening of the tight junctions in the gastrointestinal tract, which leads to leaky gut. Now, to some extent, it's dose-dependent. So the more gluten you have, the more likely you are to develop leaky gut. That's essentially you know, how it's not that just because you sniff it or touch it or look at it, you're going to get leaky gut. Mm. It's that you, the greater the exposure to gluten, the more likely you are to develop leaky gut. And then that predisposes you to a whole host of different autoimmune diseases um, that are unrelated to 
to uh, celiac disease. So there is celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease, um, which is an allergy to gluten. But then there's the non-celiac gluten sensitivities, um, which can also then lead to uh, all of these other autoimmune diseases like Graves' disease and Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, rheumatoid arthritis, Raynaud's syndrome and um, psoriasis and all these sorts of things, which are becoming more and more closely understood to be linked to this leaky gut phenomenon. And we know that gluten triggers zonulin. So I say gluten is one of those things that's it's in, it's throughout our culture. It's everywhere. The Italians eat it every day. The French have it in their bread. Um, the Greeks have it with their food, and they're all living beyond a hundred. Like they're doing, not, mm. but a lot of them are doing very very well. And there's a little, you know, if you look at Sardinia for example. Mm. Uh, Sardinia, there's a little island off the coast of Sardinia. There's like a thousand people that live there, and um, and and over three hundred of them are over a hundred years old. Mm. And so it's it's phenomenal. If you, if you, and they eat bread and they have pasta. And so it's not that gluten will necessarily kill you. It's just that if you have too much of it, and in Australia we use a hybridised wheat and in America we use a hybridised wheat, which yields a lot more gluten. So if you think about what many people have, they have cereal for breakfast, a muffin for morning tea, a sandwich for lunch, a biscuit for afternoon tea, snack um, on on crackers and cheese for afternoon uh, for you know when they're making their dinner and they're cooking pasta for dinner with spaghetti bolognese and uh, so they're just getting a massive load of of gluten and that's that's just too much for them so gluten is it bad yes can we live with it yep but we just want to be a little bit careful of it you mentioned about the hybridized wheat that uh, Australians and Americans are exposed to. When you're as a consumer, if you're looking to buy wheat with a lower gluten uh, content, where, where do you go looking for that? We're looking for the more ancient grains. So Frecker is uh, is one of those wheat wheats that uh, is is better, I suppose. Um, Kamut is another one. So Kamut is another ancient uh, wheat grain. Um, they're more expensive. They're not farmed on mass like the um, the Roundup style wheats that we have in Australia. Like they're they're quite different. Um, but the the Kamut and the and the Frecker uh, wheat crops are, are are probably not. Well, I suppose they are low lower in gluten, but they still have gluten in them. The fact that the gluten's there is is probably the trigger. But they're probably easier and um, I suppose yeah less difficult for the body to digest and to get through. And I'm assuming these are typically things you would purchase at a, a health food store rather than a supermarket or supermarkets stocking these sorts of um, wheat products as well? You, you will find some products. You might see a little bit of Freca um, in the supermarket in the health food section, um, but most of these, these products you're going to find in the health food stores, and, uh, and, and they're really expensive. They're very, very expensive, and that kind of leads me to you know, encourage people to live a gluten-free lifestyle without having to find gluten-free alternatives. Yeah. Um, so I'd much prefer that people attempt to live a, you know, a, a gluten-less diet, so have less gluten in their diet. Um, just by increasing their fruits and vegetable consumption, their protein consumption, but just not, you know try not to uh, you know, add the bread and the pasta to everything that you're going to eat. It's interesting, Damo, to to know the numbers of perhaps non-celiac gluten sensitive population. I mean, that's enormous. And in regard, and we don't know, but and but what we do know often when we've got these autoimmune conditions that. Uh, see either practitioners or sometimes it's just experiential investigation by the patient and they say, well, let's try gluten-free for a little while. And what happens? What happens, Damo, often I'll in your experience? Better, you know? yeah. But they'll get told, you know, don't be silly, it's dangerous. You know, if you go gluten-free, it's dangerous because you miss out on four grains from your diet. 
I can't think of anything more stupid to say to somebody that, you know, mm. being gluten-free is dangerous. Yeah. You know, for any dietitian out there or any GP out there listening to this, if you're telling your patients that it's dangerous to go gluten-free, you need your head read. Mm. It's, uh, you've actually got to be thinking more about what it is for the patient. You know, if they go gluten-free and they feel better, there's nothing dangerous about that. You know, they can get all of their B vitamins from other foods. They can get all of their other nutrients, minerals, you know, from other foods. They don't have to rely on four grains to actually keep them alive. Other cultures have existed without wheat, you know, for millennia. You know, you just look at the, the Incans and you look at the Aztecs and they weren't using uh, much wheat at all. They're using quinoa and amaranth and, um, and millet. They're using different grains. And so that can be done. Uh, so I encourage people to go gluten-free to the greatest extent um, without trying to find alternatives. So don't go for the gluten-free donut. Don't go for the gluten-free yeah. muffin. Don't go for the gluten-free pasta. Try and have meals that don't include those sorts of foods. And it's, look, it's not, I mean, just from my own personal experience, and I'm not one who's, I would say, is particularly sensitive to gluten, but every so often you just have one of those days where you've mm. eaten a lot more bread than you usually eat mm. and all of a sudden it's pasta for dinner. And you just feel a little bit bloated mm. and a little bit fatigued. I don't get so much of the joint pain that some people get or the myofascial type pain, but I, I, I can definitely tell if I've had too much gluten in my diet, that's for sure. And and just to, I suppose just a final point on this, Damien, in regards to Alessio Fasano's research, uh, how much is that making impact in this country? Look, it's enormous. It's got a lot of people, you know, I suppose quite worried. Um, but really, there's no need to be worried. It's just... The benefit of having research like what, like the team with Alessio from Harvard are actually bringing out, and Alessio is basically the front guy for it, the benefit of that research is it actually brings things back to normality. I think we've gone a little bit crazy with gluten. We eat too much of it. And his research is basically saying, hey, hang on a second, like, you know, we've got a lot of chronic disease in our countries. Um, you should consider that this particular protein may be being overconsumed. Like if the only protein we consumed was beef protein, we would be in trouble. If the only protein that we consumed was chicken protein, mm. we would be in trouble. We'd be yep. jumping up and down. We're eating yep. too many chickens. And, but, you know, the dietitians are saying, well, you, you should be totally fine. Just get stuck into gluten protein. It's going to be all right. You'll be fine. But the overconsumption of one particular protein is definitely overstimulating the human immune system, and it, it's a real struggle. But it is winding things back a little bit. Um, it has got a lot of people confused. There's people running for the hills, scared of gluten. Um, I think just keeping it into perspective, putting it into some kind of perspective, which is that gluten in large amounts is going to be incredibly challenging. It's safe to be... Uh, gluten-free, and those people who have to definitely avoid it are the celiacs. Mm. Excellent. All right, moving on. Our next, uh, our next myth, uh, we're going we're to talk sports nutrition now, and we've got two in this group, but let's maybe start with um, what you see, Paul. Well, after a football match, you know, the sirens being sound, the, they're playing the theme song. The it's players a, it's are a carton victory. Around. We're talking about a carton victory here. Well, I was actually talking more about Essendon's win uh, <laughs> yeah. last week. but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. won a game, yeah, no, we haven't actually <laughs> So, but but what do you see? They, they haven't even got into the change rooms yet. They're still walking around. I see. Co- I, I see coloured drinks. You see coloured drinks. Yes, I see coloured drinks. Definitely. Is okay. it is it uh, is it good nutrition or just good marketing, Damo? It's a good song. I see red. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely uh, it's great marketing. Great marketing. Um, there's no. We definitely don't need to have artificial colours in our body. We don't need to have stacks of um, of glucose pouring into our body after an event. We do need to have. Um, sugar coming into our body. There's there's no doubt about it. But we can get that from fruit. We can get um, a lot of our electrolytes from, you know, from normal meals, normal foods, uh, and we can definitely get you know our hydration from water. What's interesting about it is that um, there's been some research 
um, conducted at universities using these particular sports drinks and and they've found that the electrolyte levels in the bloodstream go up as a result of having these sports drinks. But there's other healthier ways to have it. Like There's other ways to do it. So you could have watermelon and achieve a similar result. Mm. Um, you could, and that's coloured red as well, so that's mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> you could actually have a green smoothie and probably do it even better. Um, and that's green. And so you just have to pretend that it's lime flavoured. But there's other ways in which, you know, you can actually get those electrolytes into your body. And that would be just to sit down and have a, an, an appropriate meal or even have some, a glass of water with a little bit of Himalayan rock salt stirred through it um, with some honey. You know, that, that's a delicious way to do it. So mm. clever marketing. The kids love it. Um, I think that there's definitely other ways to do it. And I certainly don't recommend that people rehydrate um, using the colourful drinks. Um, it's it's not wise. It's definitely not healthy. Um, it, it may increase your electrolytes slightly, but not much. Now, Anthony, <clears throat> the last time I went to the gym, I was watching these guys working really hard. And, and You're the, watching the guys? <laughs> it's a fair <laughs> yeah. point. I wasn't watching the guys. That's a fair watch, point. Watching the, really go, the guys and, and hard. Let right? me, let Just, me, do you want to rephrase it? I yeah. heard the guys, right, <laughs> grunting and groaning when they were lifting heavy weights, right? Let me just re- rephrase and correct myself there because uh, that's not correct. Um, and they're having these unusual shakes after mm-hmm. and during their sort of gym routines of isometric contraction of heavy weights. And I want to throw it to Damien about the protein powder situation and the potential of that with food. Mythology. What do, what do you reckon, Damien? Look, there's definitely benefit to loading the body with nutrients after you've torn the body. So after you've created damage, the body's going to require nutrients uh, from the bloodstream to be able to repair. And so there's absolutely benefit in having protein, fat, and carbohydrate after training. You, you get stronger muscles, you um, refuel uh, and, and allow repair to take, take place uh, rapidly. Um, you can even stimulate the body a little bit of extra hypertrophy and you know more protein in the bloodstream for a, a male increases testosterone secretion so there's definitely benefits to um, a higher protein intake um, after training but whether or not again the reliance on one particular protein in particular maybe whey protein too much of that is beneficial for our body i really don't see that that that's a wise thing to do definitely what you do find is that people do get puffy and definitely you do find is that people's muscles do hypertrophy in having these sorts of extra protein supplements going to their body i don't think whey is the problem and i definitely don't think that pea protein is the problem either i think it's the other bits and pieces that they whack in it so it could be the saccharin or it could be the aspartame or it could be the other flavors like the the nature identical vanilla flavor that they put in there or the you know the the, the chocolate flavoring that they whack in there or the stevia erythritol glycosides that they whack in there it's those sorts of things that i have more concern about it than the protein so on that uh, thing then is there, there there must be surely uh, better protein powders that are that are pure in terms of their whey and uh, pea protein contents and don't have a lot of those you know potentially harmful additives Oh, 100%, Anthony, yeah. And look, you do pay for what you get. And the, the cheaper the protein is, the more likely it is to be less good for you. And I know that's a bit of a cliche that you, you pay for what you get. But generally, when something's more pure, you're going to pay more for it. You, you get less less extraction from it and there's less fiddling with it, um, the, the better it is for you. So, however, the reverse is, is the truth when it comes to protein. So when you look at a whey protein isolate versus a whey protein concentrate, the concentrate's going to have 
um, a higher level of whey protein, but it will also have casein and it will also have lactose and it will also have all the other excipients that might be found in dairy produce that didn't make it to the milk bottle. And, uh, and so that's now in a, in a protein powder. I prefer, if I'm going to be using whey protein, to use a whey protein isolate so that it doesn't have anything else in it. So I've just got the whey and I'll add all the other bits and pieces to it to create my meal. So my berries, um, spirulina or whatever else when I'm creating my meal um, after a workout. But I prefer not to have the whey protein concentrates. When it comes to pea proteins, um, I'm looking at the highest quality pea proteins. Um, to be honest with you, they make me bloat, so I don't have a whole lot of pea protein myself. Yeah. I get given them all the time. People give me pea protein all the time. Try this vegan type, and you know, Teresa Carter's got some, and 180 Nutrition's got one, and um, the Raw Amazonia Raw's got one. There's all these different brands that are out there. Um, I think you've got to try them, but the least amount of additives to them, the better. Um, I think that's that's the wisest way to go. So getting there, and if we perhaps sum up though the the both the electrolyte uh, question and the protein powder question. Obviously, yep. it also depends on the uh, level and intensity that an athlete is working at. You know, it's a, there's yeah. a difference between taking these sorts of things when, you know, just as a common food thing as opposed to a replacement because you genuinely need that electrolyte supplement. I, I for, uh, for example, of um, as you know, Paul knows, mm, uh, yes. my cycling is my thing these days. Not tennis, so, into cycling yeah, is great. Yes. So I, I've had a, a few sort of distance road races. Yeah, and, uh, going up Mount Halfway up Mount Hotham on a 30 degree day and was given a, a tiny bit of Coca-Cola and you know Coca-Cola? I'm not a Coke I'm not a Coke drinker Coca-Cola, and I can tell you that, that within would have made a difference. it would have within 10 for the, for the next 10 minutes I was flying wow that that, that little bit that of sugar. well concentrated sugar and caffeine yeah. now I'm not saying for, for a moment that it is good for me but I can tell you absolutely it makes a physiological difference 100%. massively when I was obviously at a, at, a, at a point where I'm very depleted so so how like for for people who are pushing you know, and I'm not saying that I'm an elite athlete, I'm far from it, but for those that are really pushing it a little harder, you know, is there real value in, uh, in these protein powders and electrolyte drinks? Oh, absolutely. The, and again, there's scales of them. So you've gone to the lowest common denominator there with the Coca-Cola. Yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't think that that would be a healthy way to uh, get things going again. However, Certainly not. It's, it's, How did you – sorry, sorry, Damien – Coca-Cola, what are you doing? Well, I t- oh, no, do you, do you want to? It yeah. And when you're down there in your bottom of Mount, Mount Buller or Mount Hotham, where'd you say Mount Hotham? <laughs> Ma- uh, this one was Mount Hotham. Oh, yeah. right. Trying to get up Mount Hotham, you're going to have anything. Like you could, you know, maybe you go get some water and maybe chew some gum leaves. But, you know, if there's Coca-Cola, <laughs> it's probably a little bit easier to get things going. Fair enough. There you go. But, um, Sorry, Damien. You know, getting, there's definitely high quality electrolyte drinks out there. Um, Brett Hill wrote a book on one, um, yeah. which which is cool. Uh, I pref- My preference is to use the Endura range. I really like the Endura range from, from um, well, it's made by Metagenics or Health World, but uh, it's, it's under the brand name of Endura. I really like that. Yeah. Um, Lepin was another one that uh, that was also really, really good. Have you used one before, Anthony? What are you using? Um, now, um, so- SIS science in sport, I think it is. We've uh, just just started trying those. Look, I, I, this is all new exploring, to me, yeah. so uh, yeah. I, I'm just 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 exploring at the moment. But I know um, there was also a, 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 um, one of my uh, good friends, Kevin Turley, who's also into cycling, sent me uh, a little recipe for his um, little yeah. secret thing, and it did it, the, the, the salt. That what was the salt that you were talking? Himalayan, Himalayan salt. Rock salt. Himalayan yeah. rock salt. It was black molasses. Um, yeah. And oh, there might there was some other electrolyte thing in there, but I've I, I should have remembered Coconut it for this. Water. 
It might actually it might have been coconut water. Yeah, yeah. And so I've just got to get myself one little flask so I can. It's just it's also about you know in the intensity of a race having getting it in there easily as well. So that's um, right. That's right. And sugar gets absorbed very very quickly when you're starving and when your gastrointestinal system is not focusing on digestion. You know, when your blood's being diverted to your arms and your legs and your heart and your brain and you're not really worried about digestion, you just got to get something in there that's going to be absorbed fast. So generally that's things that are, are glucose-rich or sugar-rich mm. um, and glycine-rich. So right. if you've got things with glycine, um, there's more glycine receptors in the gastrointestinal tract than any other amino acid. So if you can get your minerals bound to glycine, right. like for example, the magnesium, yeah. that'll race into your bloodstream very quickly without food and not without any digestion. So you can you can do that too. So a lot of people on the bike when they've overloaded with electrolytes can actually uh, become quite unwell, nauseous, diarrhea, and uh, and that's usually the case when the uh, the magnesium type is poor. So I look for a biz or a diglycinated magnesium type. Yeah, and you can't go past just bananas and water. That works pretty well as well. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It does there work. The couple that we interviewed on 100 Not Out, and they ran around Australia. They did 365 marathons, and every oh. day they ate 36 bananas each. And mm. uh, and the, their electrolyte replacement was they did a whole raw vegan um, event where they ran 365 days in a row. So, so circumnavigated all of Australia and they had 36 bananas every single day. That's what mm. they did. Wow. Oh, goodness. Yep. It worked. And lots of water. It's, they're going to last a whole lot longer than that than Coca-Cola, that's for sure. That's right. <laughs> it's not uh, brand Coca-Cola too much on this show, please. Uh, uh, please, Anthony, right, I should say. Next one, are we up to the next one on the list? Well, actually, I was just going to ask, uh, yeah, the, in regards, uh, what's your – we talk about beverages. Mm. What is your beverage recommendation just – for the general GI Joe, I mean, we're talking about sports nutrition there, but now let's just go back to just general recommendations. I mean, is it as simple as water? Yeah, absolutely. Like everything comes back to water. Um, if the body is trying to rebuild, it doesn't require cordial. Um, if the body is trying to repair, it doesn't require fruit juice. If the body's trying to re- repair, it doesn't require fizzy drinks. It doesn't require wine, doesn't require beer. Everything comes back to water. And so water is my number one recommendation. You know, if people could drink enough water and then anything else that they drink is a bonus, I'm really happy with that. You know, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. So I encourage people to be drinking around 25 to 35 mils of water per kilogram of body weight, um, depending on how much exercise they're doing. So if you're 100 kilos, then, you know, just to make the maths easy, because, you know, you know, I did two and a half years of first year accounting. That's so, you know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, 25 times 100 equals two and a half litres, or 35 times 100 is three and a half litres. So if you're 100 kilos, you're drinking two and a half to three and a half litres of water every single day. And then you've got to really, if you're going to have anything else, that's just a bonus. That's that's not included in your water intake. Okay, there you go. That's uh, and, and look, can you drink too much water? Yeah, absolutely, you can PB. So if you drink too much water, you will you will um, run through your electrolytes much faster. Your kidneys got to clear it out. Your kidneys are maintaining and regulating blood pressure, and uh, and, and as a result of you know the increased pressure caused by the absorption of the water in your bloodstream, your kidneys will just send it out. And as it's going out, it's taking other minerals with it. So and that can create a, a negative osmotic load in the body, and that's very very dangerous. And, and I suppose we could see that. With our pee, our pee colour. Yeah, you just—it's only got to get to cut. It's just got to get to clear. By the end of the day, you want your wee to be clear. If you've achieved that, then that's a big—you know—pat on the back. Give yourself a gold star. Um, it's going to wake up a little bit. You wake up in the morning, you're a bit dirty. But uh, by the middle of the day, by the end of the day, you definitely want your wee to be clear, and you know that you're drinking enough water. It's good. 
Well, that's good advice. Good advice. And you want to? Uh, I think there's some value in drinking water more earlier in the day. You don't want to get up too many times in the middle of the night just to uh, just to uh, uh, overload. Especially if you're yep. a mammal and your prostate's getting sick. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Good point. All right, Damon, this has been such awesome information. We're still but, going. Uh, we're still going. What have we, we got? Can we, we, well, what I was thinking is that maybe that uh, we, we're going to have to get Damon back. I, I've got a list of questions here of uh, my, my myths here that we Where still... We're going for time. My goodness, this guy can talk, can't he, Damon? We, we, we're here already. We're here <laughs> already. So, um, so, look, Damo, look, we would love to get you back again and uh, complete the list of myths that um, Paul and I have uh, put here together. Will you come back and do another podcast with us? Yeah, I'd love to, boys. That'd be great. My, my, uh, my honour. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much for your, uh, all your wisdom today and uh, setting us straight on uh, what's good and what's put, uh, bad in, uh, in food and nutrition. Excellent. Thank you, Damo. So thank you for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Backchat podcast. All relevant website links of today's show will be on our Backchat podcast Facebook page. If you like the show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you with one thought. Be the best of what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.